Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sitting down right now with Katie Wells of wellnessmama.com, and I can't wait to introduce you guys. Now, it must be said, Katie's not your ordinary guest. She's not your typical fitness pro or scientist, but she's just as much of an information resource as they are. In fact, Katie's actually just your typical superhero mom from down the block who is struggling finding health answers for herself while recovering from a chronic ailment. Uh, plus, she just needed practical health info for her kids and her family. Now, flash forward a bit, Katie actually, as she reclaimed her own health, made a huge transformation with weight loss and beyond, got in the best shape of her life. It actually led to her wanting to help others. She wound up creating wellnessmama.com to break down potentially complex science or conflicting answers into simple, easy to follow advice written in plain old English, right? So what she didn't have when she was going through all that. So today she's going to talk to us about how to make getting healthy and fit simple, how managing your stress will help you get better results, the importance of nutrient density, including electrolyte intake, why you need more sunlight, uh, how makeup, cosmetics, at least you know typical ones might be harming your health, plus more practical tips for the whole family to get started with. Again, today's show is brought to you by Real Ketones, the pioneer in the exogenous ketone space. Exogenous ketones, if you haven't tried them yet, are like a superfood. You get energy, brain, and cognitive benefits, stress and anxiety relief, anti-inflammatory benefits, body composition and weight management benefits, and a whole lot more. So Real Ketones actually has a full line of top-shelf exogenous ketones, and they're even packed with like three to five times the dose of of pure electrolyte supplements too. So you're also getting that as an added benefit. Uh, In addition, they have a full line of support supplements like multivitamins, they are, you know, they, they care about you getting results too. So they're not just uh, your typical supplement retailer. They also have an information hub with articles, guides, plans, and beyond. So if you don't know, now you know. Be sure to check them out at realketones.com or visit them in your local retailer like Target, Vitamin Shop, GNC, CBS, Amazon, and more. All right, guys, without further ado, welcome to the show. Good evening, everyone. This is Coach Matt, and you are listening to Better Health and Body Radio, your source for the latest and greatest information and understanding in the world of health, nutrition, and performance, where we give you a seat at the table next to the best and the brightest minds to arm you with the information you need to optimize yourself. Join us for another exciting, thought-provoking episode of BHB Radio, starting now. Hey, Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, it's kind of funny how it's come full circle now. You know, I was before I was doing any type of podcasting or anything like this. I, I, I've seen you speak, as we talked about offline, um, at one of the Paleo FX conferences, and I learned a lot there. And so now it's kind of funny for it to be full circle. And, and here I am getting, getting the information direct from the source itself. <laughs> Now, uh, so if for people who are listening at home, uh, they may not have heard of you or your brand, Wellness Mama. Um, do you mind introducing yourself and, and telling us how you got into doing what you're doing? Absolutely. So about uh, 14, almost 15 years ago now, when 
um, my first son was born, I had transitioned away from journalism, which is what I had been doing before and was transitioning into motherhood. And from a personal perspective, this created somewhat of a perfect storm for me and um, ended up kind of catapulting me into a couple of autoimmune diseases that it would take me several years to figure out. Oh, wow. um, at the same time, at my six-week follow-up appointment after having my son, I read in Time magazine that for the first time in two centuries, the current generation of American children would have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. And it was just such a striking statement to read while holding this tiny newborn who was one of the brand new members of that generation and reading all the statistics about how they were going to face such higher rates of cancer and autoimmune disease and diabetes and all the things we've seen, of course, they're on the rise. And so I didn't know any way, like how I was going to do it, but I sort of internally vowed in that moment that I wasn't okay with that for my my son and my future kids, and I wasn't okay with that for anybody's kids. And so that kind of set a, a dual path for me of trying to find my own health answers and also wanting to help do something to contribute to changing that statistic. And so I leaned heavily on my journalism background, and my default had always been to research. And so I really did a deep dive into the world of health and wellness, starting to try to unpack my own health problems and also try to uncover some of the roots of why we were seeing such a drastic rise in all these problems within the span of one generation, which is uncommon statistically. So I just started really delving into that research world. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of great information out there. So I was spending a lot of time in like places like PubMed and scientific studies, but there wasn't much out there for the average mom. And so I started taking the information I was learning and trying to translate it in a concise way into language that would be actually practical and helpful for other people who would be facing the same thing. And that's how the community of Wellness Mama started developing. Um, since then, it's now, I think about uh, thousands of blog posts and almost 500 podcast episodes and a huge community of millions of moms have grown around that. And the beauty of it is I realized early on that if you want to change make massive change in society, you have to help the average mom change because that's when societal shifts occur. And so the fact that there's now this incredible community of moms who are aware and making such conscious decisions for their own family gives me hope that we're going to start to see these statistics change. I love that. I absolutely love that. I mean, I guess a couple things. Number one, that's that's funny. I didn't know you were a journalism background. Uh, you had a journalism background. That's actually what I got my degree in as well was was journalism. So that's funny there. And I, and I feel I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like it kind of almost in like a mouthpiece and communication way. I feel like it helps me distill like some of this maybe potentially abstract and complex science into simple things that everybody can understand. It sounds like that's kind of what you've done for you know moms across the world, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny story there is in uh, journalism, they I definitely heard from several professors. I, I had gone into journalism thinking I'm going to help change the narrative and help solve some problems in, in our society and heard from multiple professors that there's really no such thing as objective media and you are the mouthpiece for who you work for. Yeah. And it was very disillusioned with the entire system by the time I was finishing school. So I actually walked away and did not get my degree four hours away from graduating um, and decided I was going to make my own path that way and not do it the traditional way. Um, but I also very strongly agree with what you said that I think it's a superpower of sorts um, to be able to take and synthesize information and make it practical and usable and concise. And uh, I'm very grateful to the journalism background for helping me learn how to do that. Yeah, you just decided that at the end of the day, you're going to use your powers for good and not evil. <laughs> you walked <laughs> in this direction. <laughs> um, yeah, that, so I thought that was that was pretty neat, uh, just on a personal level. And then, on, you know, again, what what I think is just so awesome is the fact that, you know, like you said, it's 
if you can change change it at the ground level by by influencing just your your everyday household mom you know the the again another another whole brand of uh, superheroes there if you can just help it uh, help people at the family levels right with their own health wellness fitness then it's naturally going to emanate emanate from there you know I, I think it's pretty positive that you're really going to the ground level and helping people with everyday things and and I think that uh, you know I've always you sometimes struggled with ways to explain something simple, simply enough to my parents at times. And so what's awesome is that I now have your website as a resource that I could send my own mom and sister to as an example. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I've always thought of my kids are some of my greatest teachers as well. And there's quotes from um, everyone from Albert Einstein to Richard Feynman about how, if you truly understand something, you can explain it to a six-year-old. And I feel like I'm really grateful that I've had almost constantly a child in that age range to be able to explain these concepts to, and to make sure I understood them before putting them out into the world. And um, I think as, as a parent as well, that's been a really amazing teaching and learning experience, because I think we often underestimate how capable our kids are and how much they can understand at a very young age. Um, because when I get questions about like, well, how do you force your kids to eat this way? I was like, there's no forcing. I educate them and they actually make these choices even when they're not with me. I, I'm not like running a dictatorship when it comes to their <laughs> health choices. I'm teaching them and they understand and have a vested interest in their own health. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, you know, and here's the other thing too. I think for a lot of us, it's like, we might have the ability to communicate these things, these concepts to other people in a simple level, but is there really a resource where, where it's almost like a, an, like a, a news hub for all these things, an information hub, and it's all written at that level that I could send it to my mom and she'll get it, you know? Um, yeah, I could send it to clients and they would get it, right? So I, 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 th I think your website has a ton of value just you know, educating everyday people on how to make changes in their own lives, which ultimately is going to empower them. Um, and I think that with a lot of people, yeah, you can, there's a whole like uh, saying you can lead a horse to water, but, but will it actually drink? Uh, and, you know, you can't make it drink. I think for some people though, it's, it's a lack of understanding. They don't necessarily see the value. So then there's not the buy-in. And so what I, what I really look at your, your, what the work that you've done as is helping people understand things uh, fully and completely. And so that way they can actually have an appliance where they want to make the change in their own life, whether it's your own kids or families across the world. Thank you. That's definitely been my hope. And uh, it's also for, on a personal level, been an incredible place to chronicle my own health journey. Like I mentioned, I had a couple of autoimmune diseases that have now fully resolved, but that was a very long process for me. And it gave me such a heart for helping people navigate through whatever those health problems are and navigate within the existing systems and hopefully also continue to change some of the existing systems um, since we're still seeing a lot of these things on the rise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note too, I was curious, um, what, you know, what are some places that you have people go to just simply get, get started? People who like, if a family comes to you and, you know, they say, you know, I we want to be healthier, but we really just don't know where to start. You know, what are some places or some trees that you have them bark up? Yeah, I have a whole start here page and I can uh, send you a few resources if you do show notes that you can link to this kind of starting places. Um, but I definitely encourage, especially at a family level, I encourage people to really go back to the basics and go back to first principles and start with foundational things. Because I think recently there's been a trend in health to um, really popularize these fancy, expensive biohacking things. And I think there's 
those certainly a time and a place for those. And I've experimented with a lot of them myself, but I think they've also taken attention away from a lot of the core things that don't have to be expensive or complicated and that are easy for families to implement. So um, the majority of the starting places I give are very easy to implement and free things like getting morning sunlight as soon as you wake up with your family, taking the kids outside, spending time outside, because we know from the data that the bright sunlight, even on a cloudy day, is so much more wide spectrum light than you're going to get from any in indoor light. Mm -hmm. That this is an important key in the hormone cycle. And especially for kids, protecting that hormone cycle for them is really, really important. Same thing with just getting base level solid nutrition and hydration before you start experimenting with fancy supplements. Um, and kind of giving in sleep and dialing in sleep and then a simple breathing practices for stress. I feel like often those things get neglected in the name of expensive supplements or in the name of fancy equipment. And if you dial those things in, everything else gets so much more effective from there. So I, I really love educating and starting with what I consider kind of the first principles of health and getting people to make solid habits out of those so that if they do need anything else that's potentially more expensive or more complicated, they have a solid foundation to make sure those things are effective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can kind of even look at every little microcosm within that as like, you know, let's, let's build our pyramid from like the foundation all the way up, right? Even within supplements themselves, for example, you have things that are more essential and then you have things that might be more accessory or as you put it kind of biohacking, like kind of optional or for performance or something like that, that might not be like part of your core tenants there. Uh, and you, you mentioned like, you know, when we were talking privately, I know you mentioned that you're helping a lot of people with the mindset. And, and I think with all of us, it's like, if you have the right mindset, it makes getting started uh, a heck of a lot easier. So uh, do you have any sort of ethoses or words of wisdom uh, there for people who are, who are looking to jumpstart their own health and fitness journey? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to touch on this thing you just mentioned as well, I think the other key, and I love that it's getting talked about so much more right now, uh, is the personalization aspect of health. And this is something I've talked about quite a bit and definitely also encourage people when they're starting off, because I've also seen a trend where people find a, a health expert who has definitely figured out what worked for them and who has had amazing results. And then they try to latch on and follow that system exactly. And I understand the temptation to do that because I certainly did that with every system imaginable when I was trying to figure out my own health problems. But what I've learned firsthand and what data is absolutely showing is that we are all so individualized that each of those experts has figured out what works for them. And that's awesome. And there's something to learn from every approach and from every person we encounter. But at the end of the day, we are each our own primary health care provider. And so we have to take the data and experiment in our own lives and figure out our own starting points and build from there. And I think that that is a beginning mindset shift as well as shifting into the focus of thinking of yourself as your own primary health care provider and finding if you need it, practitioners to work with you as a partner. But I think we're finally moving away from the trend of outsourcing health and especially the medical side to a practitioner. I think we're seeing a lot of people start to take ownership for their own health. And I think that that uh, responsibility and that act of taking ownership is a really important key mindset shift um, when it comes to that. But going a little deeper on the mindset side, um, this was actually has been a journey for me the last three years. And it ended up being kind of what was the important final piece in the physical side of health for me. So like I mentioned, I came from a research background. I very much default to like, show me the data. I want to see the studies. And so I had everything dialed in. I run spreadsheets and algorithms and lab tests constantly. And I had diet dialed in, supplements, all of the factors that you could imagine. And still a lot of the health things were not improving. And it wasn't until I addressed 
the mindset side and the emotional trauma side that all of those problems, because I had built all these foundations with the health side, they all resolved without mm -hmm. any additional work. And so if you had told me, you know, five years ago that I would be saying mindset is perhaps the most important piece when it comes to health, I would have thought you were crazy. And now that's very much what I'm saying to a lot of people. And um, in my own podcast, I shared on episode 309, kind of my, the story of tra past trauma for me and how I resolved that and what physical changes it led to. And since then I've heard from literally thousands of other people who have navigated similar things in their past and who are working to find their own health answers. And so I think it's really important as we learn more and more about health and the science side to also not neglect just how important that mindset side is. Because if you want to get sciencey with it, we know that if you are operating from a place where you're in sympathetic nervous system, most of the time, it's going to be extremely hard for the physiological processes that need to happen for you to heal and recover. Um, but often, and certainly in the conventional medical model, we're not talking about that side. So we have people who are constantly unable to shift out of fight or flight, trying to rest and digest and heal. And the body has that protective mechanism for a reason. So the mindset side helps us start to address and unpack some of that. Um, and for me, when I say that it, this made a drastic physical difference, just to give a metric to illustrate that, um, without changing my diet, other than I think I actually eat more now, since resolving the mindset side, I have lost now 90 pounds. Wow. And Hashimoto's wow. is completely gone. So it was an extremely profound change for me. Wow. That is no short order. Jeez. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had, I believe, I, I believe that, um, I've had something, you know, some similar things happen both in clients that I've worked with and in my own private practice. And then also for myself too. Um, you know, I, I've actually seen people who either is some, maybe something as simple as they can't, they can't burn fat. They, that they, that they want to lose. They maybe are not performing as well as they can. They maybe are having, um, maybe a more seriously presenting health issue of sorts. And, you know, part of it is their body is, is running off stress hormones and they're, they've got, you know, they're, they're allocating all their energy on fight or flight continuation in the body as, as, you know, as you just sort of eloquently put, and yet, you know, they don't have energy left over for things like their metabolism to be fully robust and, and operational, their hormone manufacturer to be online. Uh, you know, have enough brain chemicals to think clearly. So maybe they're also in a funk too, and they're, they're kind of interpersonal life. So it really is interesting how the model for health should be what they call like a biopsychosocial model for health, which is like, there's a biological component. Um, there's a psychological, spiritual component. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you want to, you know, kind of in, intertwine the emotions there too. And then there's kind of a social component too, as far as having, you know, your built-in family, tribe, things like that. So I, th I think that there's getting to be more of an acknowledgement of it in, in mainstream publications and media. So I have been very happy to see that. I love that you brought up the social aspect as well, because that's the thing I've noticed, um, you know, everybody's so fascinated by blue zones and asking the questions of what do they eat and how much are they exercising and do they drink red wine or not? And if you actually look at the commonalities, the one that is the strongest is that they have extremely strong social and family relationships. And I would, I would preface that that's probably actually the reason, or at least a huge reason for their longevity. And if anything, we've seen in the last couple of years, the consequences of that lack of social connection. And that's being talked about a whole lot in the media right now, but that's another great starting point that ties into both mindset and those foundational steps is that having a strong community 
when you actually look at the data for longevity is more important than quitting smoking. It's more important than exercising. And that's one that definitely could use some improvement, especially in the Western world right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, you mentioned like with the lockdown and stuff, there's been a lot of uh, mental health, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a already there, but, but now helping fertilize the mental health epidemic. Um, you know, you, you also, I think, hit on something else there, which is that um, they've proven in studies that, you know, social isolation is death. And I think as the culture moves, like shifts, like towards a more digitized society, in some ways, it's kind of like that old Greek mythology tale about Prometheus and fire. And, you know, ultimately technology is what's allowing you and I to connect here now. It's what's allowing you and I to get our messages out to the world. At the same time, I think there's ways to use it for, for positivity. And there's also ways in which we can use it or perhaps without meaning accidentally use it to become less healthy and less connected to people. And I think that, again, knowing knowing how to use that fire, that, that, that technology careful is ultimately what's going to decide whether it's going to make us healthier, happier, and more connected as a society or, or ultimately, you know, make some of us less healthy. Absolutely. And, and acknowledging in a more digital world that it's something we do have to be more proactive. Um, I mean, I've talked about that from an overall health perspective is that we now are facing a lot more negative inputs from a health perspective than we have in previous generations. So while our grandparents probably didn't have to work quite so hard to maintain good health, we now have to be aware and proactive about all the negative inputs that we're receiving from our environment, from technology, like you mentioned, from food being a lot more contaminated than it used to, and be proactive to do things to counteract that. Um, and the same thing applies with the community in, in an increasingly digital world. We just have to be aware of that there's a double-edged sword when it comes to technology and make more of an effort to make sure that we're doing the in-person connecting and community as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, if you wanted to put a bigger picture bow on all this, like, there's like more of what you call Neolithic diseases right now, or things like type two diabetes and other types of degenerative things that we just didn't have before. Yes, we've come a long way on not getting killed by bacteria, which is like elongated the lifespan, uh, of course. And at the same time, there are these Neolithic diseases presenting uh, that just weren't there before. And so my friend, Dan Dixon, he's a health researcher. He likes to say that, you know, uh, and, and also my friend, Daniel Cortez, who we had on the show says the same thing, which is that you know, mainly the cause of most states of, of disease or poor health and in the modern age are, are caused by an evolutionary mismatch or the fact that we are human animals, yet our environment that we're trying to slot ourselves into uh, that doesn't have enough sunlight, you know, as you, as you mentioned earlier, that maybe has a, a little bit too much technology, Wi-Fi signals going on. We, you know, we eat Franken foods that we were never meant to eat. We, we don't get the right kind of movement in. Um, we maybe have disconnections with our social tribe and purpose. It's just so far removed for how the human animal was meant to live. It's almost like if you take a fish out of water, you know, you're not going to wonder why it dies, even if our version of it is a, a slower acting one, right? So that, I think that's, I'm glad you brought that up, in other words. Yeah, and another analogy I heard recently that I loved kind of related to that is the idea that if you think of humans as animals, to your point, um, you know, when we think of any other animal, there's kind of different ranges of environments. Most people can acknowledge their wild environment is the most natural and comfortable for them. But if you're going to have domesticated animals in any form, you have the options of things like a zoo, which is trying to mimic their wild environment while still keeping them in whatever area and safety they would want to be in. Or you have a farm, which is actually not at all designed to keep the animal in its natural environment or do what's best for the animal. It's raising the animal toward a purpose that's usually benefiting humans. Um, and it, typically with a shorter lifespan because they're not concerned about longevity or 
the natural interaction of the animal. And in, in that sense, when you think of humans as animals, we are certainly not living in the wild. We're definitely not even living in a zoo. We're basically humans living in a farm of sorts designed to keep us as socially functional animals that pay taxes and that live in boxes, but it's definitely not mimicking our our natural environment that we thrive in. And so making choices that line up with that natural environment can go a long way toward health. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it is sort of a series of like, it, at the very least minimum effective doses, we have to like, make in each area, right? So if you picture each person, uh, you know, and then there's almost this kind of like, like an alchemy circle around them, there's like the light, the light circle around them, almost like a constellation, like the food circle, X, Y, and Z. I think what's so awesome about uh, what you've done with Wellness Mama is you know, help people find like, all right, what, what do I just need to do at, at the very least at a baseline level to make sure that my environment isn't making me unhealthy, isn't causing an autoimmune condition, isn't, isn't preventing me to be fit and healthy and, you know, have the, the body composition that I want to. And speaking of that, um, obviously, so like a, like a big piece to this, not just the, the overall health picture and, and of your overall work, but also even of mindset, right? Of, of making sure you just feel good day in and day out and, and are not sort of running on stress hormones would be getting in a proper diet and a food piece. So what, where, what are your thoughts and where do you tend to point people nutritionally? It has been an evolution for me over the years. And I think this is another area where the personalization aspect is absolutely key. Um, I've done a deep dive into genetics over the last couple of years and built out an algorithm that took into account genes, but in relation to each other. And that's really um, honed in for me just how different and personalized the, the dietary approach needs to be. Um, because I felt like when we started understanding genes, people would hone in on like MTHFR. And then they would start eating or supplementing directly for MTHFR, but ignoring that there's six other genes that are dependent on that same cycle. And if you over or under supplement with one thing, you can throw those other six genes out of whack. And so I wanted to understand the relation of all of those and seeing that has really just dialed in for me, how important it is for each of us to, through experimentation or through more advanced things, like understanding our genes, um, figure out our own diet. So I don't have a blueprint of diet that I give to everyone. And I think of this as an analogy almost to how I, I teach my kids. Like I've told my kids from the time they could talk, question everything. And my oldest son asked me when he was two, he said, even you? And I said, even and especially me. And I think that same thing applies to nutritional wisdom from any source is read a lot of options, learn from all of them, but at the end of the day, question everything and work to figure out your own answers. And that said, we still can all like, Go to some basic first principles, like I would argue that vegetable oils are not good for any human animal and can be completely avoided. I haven't seen any genes that benefit from those. No. And so that like, there's some easy ones like that, refined foods, fried foods, overly processed foods. We have enough data to know that those are not helpful. But when we're talking in the, the positive sense of what, whether, what kinds of vegetables and what kinds of proteins and how much protein, how much carbs, how much fat, there's so much variation there. And I think that's where the experimentation comes in. So um, I wish there was a blueprint. I wish we could all just follow a checklist that worked for everyone. But the more I learn, the more I realize that we each have to go on that journey for ourselves. And thankfully, there are now so many resources to help us have a starting point for that, but that we will thrive when we are able to dial in within our own um, lifestyle and genes and what's sustainable for us, what all of those pieces look like. Um, and that said, like, there are some great resources if you want to delve deep on the genetic side and kind of get a cheat sheet for that now. Um, but I, I typically just have people start there. One thing I will say is that I have 
found for a lot of women, and this was true for me as well, um, there is a kind of um, fear mindset with a lot of foods and especially people who have had health problems. And I had to be on the AIP protocol for a while in the, the heat of my Hashimoto's. Um, and it can develop over time a fear of a lot of foods. And so that was something I had to intentionally break. And also I see with women a lot, and this was also true for me, um, just years of over dieting kind of skew our relationship with food and make us afraid to eat. And that can actually be counterproductive and problematic, not just for weight loss, but for many aspects of health. And so now like part of the key to my weight loss was actually eating more and especially getting enough protein in. And so I think for women, especially that's a sometimes helpful starting point is to really delve into and and track for a little while, how much are you eating and how much protein are you eating? Because often a lot of women are surprised to find that they're not eating enough because they've been in this deprivation diet culture for so long. And that actually focusing and shifting um, towards replenishing the body can be a huge first step in healing and recovery there. Um, And then I also encourage people to step back from thinking of food, even in terms of macros, or especially about calories, and think of it as like nutrient density by the amount of volume and the amount of calories that you're taking in. So in other words, we've all seen the memes of the different ways you can get calories. Um, But looking at what is the most nutrient dense way I can get the the need to number of calories to fuel my body today. Um, Because if not, we can easily fall into the trap, even within the healthy world of the paleo um, snacks that are still very high in just like natural sugars, but still pretty low in nutrients. Um, so I just try to encourage people to make that shift in the mindset of fueling the body versus depriving the body, especially women. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, so I think that's really important, actually. Um, that's part of why like, I, I love what, you know, Real Ketones is doing as well, which is they're not trying to pigeonhole anyone into following kind of a, a strict, uh, ultra strict diet regimen, like a strict ketogenic diet, but it's, it's more about being flexible, um, and, and with your approach, right. I'm, I'm someone myself who actually, uh, improved my health a lot through things like intermittent fasting and, you know, ketosis and, and, uh, more like a primal type eating, uh, or, or ethos of eating. And then at the same time, I also kind of went a little bit too extreme with that. And I wound up kind of burning myself out and, um, depleting, uh, my thyroid a bit and then actually slowing my metabolism down. And so I realized like, well, okay, what's the bigger picture here? Uh, you know, diet, like diet, eating sunlight, sleep, all these things are meant to be deposits. And I turned my diet into a withdrawal by eating a bit too much of a calorie deficit. Um, you know, having a body and doing, you know, workouts and living a lifestyle that, that probably needed a bit more, more protein. And then as you mentioned, and then also even on some days, carbohydrates, um, then I was allowing myself, it, it really slowed things down. And so I, I love that you brought that up, you know, how you, how you lost weight by eating more. I've actually had the same thing happen. And in the last, I don't know, two years or so, like about two years, I've actually found that by being, you know, doing some things generally, right? Like I am eating like lower carbs on days where I'm at rest or not working out, eating more carbs, maybe on days where I am, you know, doing a little bit of strength training. It's actually helped me gain quite a bit of lean body mass. And my body fat is, you know, about as low or around as low as it's ever been. And I just feel a lot better day in and day out. And and part of that was not being as black and white, not being as rigid and breaking that sort of perma diet mindset. And then allowing myself some of the foods and nutrients that I was, I needed that I was, that I was missing. And that's, I think one thing that people in the Dr. Ray Pete community talk quite a bit about. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I like to point that out as well as I actually eat a lot more foods now than I have in the past and including some foods that wouldn't necessarily line up all the time with any of the paradigms that I have followed in the past. And this goes back to me now being in, in this place and having worked through the Hashimoto's, I had to be a, a little more careful when I was in the heat of that. But um, the idea of not doing anything every day other than sleep, hydration, and sunlight. Um, and for me, that includes I don't even eat every single day. I fast sometimes or I'll intermittent fast sometimes, but other days I will eat more food. And I think to your point, that's a really important key as well is that the human body is designed to be adaptable, but we have to remind it. And so cycling everything, I don't take any supplement every single day. I don't eat any single food every single day. Um, I think it's really important to have that cycle and refeed, especially for women um, when we're talking about thyroid and hormones in general. Um, I, I personally have found that for me, I do really well with intermittent fasting and even longer fast. I'm actually on mm -hmm. day three of a fast right now, oh, wow. as long as I am very careful to refeed and refuel and get enough calories in, in the times when I'm not fasting. And I think a lot of times when we talk about fasting being bad for women, it's partially because we're not being careful about the refeeding side and we're not getting enough nutrients and calories the rest of the time, which goes yes. back to that deprivation mindset. But again, personalized aspect here as well. And, and not all women will do well with fasting and in certain periods of life, you definitely don't want to fast like pregnancy and nursing. But mm -hmm. um, I think that I'm really glad that you brought that up. And I think a very important key as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love what you just said too, is it's, it's not so much about like, all right, we, we can't ever have a caloric deficit. We can't ever fast. It's, you know, we need to find what works for our own bodies, whether that's daily short, you know, short daily fast, whether that's maybe doing a longer fast on occasion, like for some people once a week, uh, you know, some people stretch it out more than that. Um, and, and really rounding out from there. I think also cycling foods, cycling, cycling supplements is a good point. And, and I, for me personally, just to kind of put a bow on that, it's like, I've found that my metabolism does best when I, you know, I have fat adapted it from the, the fasting and, and the, the keto. And it's really hard for that to go away unless I purposely try to, you know, break it, if you will. Um, and, and then becoming more relaxed about the amount of ketones that my body's producing from within. And instead, you know, maybe optimizing almost like a superfood by, by topping that off with more uh, exogenous ketones. So speaking of like food and supplements too, you mentioned there's some supplements you cycle. I also want to get into some other like parts of our household and environment in a, in a second, like personal care items. So we'll, we'll, we'll table that for the, just the time being, but supplement wise, are there any supplements that you t tend to recommend for, for women or for people in general? Maybe, you know, if, if we're talking about um, maybe more, more essential ones and any, any like that, that you've been a fan of? I definitely, so to go back to what we talked about with first principles, I definitely lean toward food first. And I am a fan of testing in certain areas for this, if, uh, if it's available for people, but, um, I think vitamin D, we have enough data to know vitamin D is super important, but I always sure. encourage sunlight versus supplementing whenever possible. Um, and that's one of the only ones that I would say I take regularly if I'm not in a place where I can get sunlight every single day. Um, and then from there, it, for me, it very much varies. Um, this is also where the genetics component comes in. So for a long time, I was intolerant to eggs and I would get eczema if I ate eggs at all, but I also have seven genes that are highly choline dependent. And so that was a big key for me was learning that and realizing that I was extremely choline deficient. And so for me personally, supplementing with choline was night and day difference. That won't be true for everyone. And I think that's where finding out that um, the personalization comes in. And then I cycle everything and right now have been in an experimentation phase with nootropics. I'm just working on dialing in 
that for myself. And so I'm cycling a lot of things like alpha GPC and ALA, uh, Hooperzine and, and things like that. Um, but that also wouldn't necessarily be applicable to everyone. I think there's the base level of making sure that if you have methylation issues, you're addressing your methylfolate. If you have B vitamin dependent issues, you're addressing those. But again, those often always can go back to food as well. So um, an uncommon thing I do that definitely raises some eyebrows is often in the morning, I will eat some raw liver and just swallow it whole um, to get the B vitamins and the iron and the nutrients from that. And I definitely notice an energy bump from that, but that's definitely not something most people want to do. Same thing with raw oysters. I feel great when I get the zinc and selenium from yeah. raw sources like that, but a lot of people aren't willing to make that jump. So in those cases, finding out <laughs> based on your lifestyle and your diet um, and your genes, if possible, what you need to have in your body and then making sure you're supplementing if you aren't getting it from food. Yeah, I love that. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it, it always is food first. It, all, it always is going to be food first or environment first in the case of like vitamin D and sunlight. Um, and, and I think just kind of being a realist too and saying like, all right, well, unless we're going to quit our job and become a gardener, we're probably not going to get enough sunlight. So, you know, that, that's where additional vitamin D would come in. And that, that's actually um, uh, Chief Science Officer Gary Millett. That's where actually he, he kind of got some of these ideas when he was formulating um, the support, the keto support multivitamin that also has electrolytes in it. Uh, he basically was looking at it like that. All right, like where are the, where are the gaps in the mortar? Uh, you know, where do we need to fill those? Um, I, I, I like that list quite a bit. I would, I, I definitely do my fair share of liver and oyster, although I guess I'm kind of a wimp because I have them cooked. <laughs> um, so maybe I'm getting slightly, uh, you know, some, a little bit less nutrients there, but yeah, it's important to remember too, certain nutrients we, we really most effectively absorbed through food. And that would be, you know, like vitamin C, for example, zinc, right. You know, you mentioned in the oysters and the two, those two things, there are a staple of my diet and they're almost like nature's multivitamin in a way. Um, I, you know, other things, I think electrolytes you do, or you are going to get some of that in like through food, for example, sodium. Um, at the same time though, there's certain issues, I think with the topsoil that we have where it, it might make some of these things what you might call conditionally essential, where perhaps our great grandparents didn't have to supplement with some of these things, but it either has become a little bit more of a reality now and, or there, you know, I think there are also certain accessory supplements that can kind of help jumpstart us in the right direction um, and really help people sort of, you know, kickstart kick things. And I think if something's going to help you really go full force with, you know, your, your foot on the pedal and also just sort of be optimizing health and wellness in general. It can be, you know, it, it, there's a positive place for it to have a seat at the table. For example, um, you know, I really like methylene blue um, and exogenous ketones for people um, just because they're both ways to put energy into the system at the cellular level, you know, in our mitochondria without taxing the adrenal glands. So when you have some of these people that maybe struggle finding the energy to work out they're still going through some of the adaptogenic effects from changing their diet and lifestyle it can be a way to kind of uh kick them into gear without putting them on something that's like wild or unnatural like some of those like pre-workouts you tend to see if you go into like a gnc or something like that you know something that's just full of stimulant um might have some like you know less than ideal sweeteners food dyes and chemicals in it Absolutely. When I think the electrolyte component is really important as well, like you brought up, because that is one thing that people can tend to have an issue with, especially if they are switching to a cleaner diet, is that at least in processed foods, there tends to be enough sodium. And when we had this wave of kind of demonizing sodium yeah. and 
a lot of electrolytes that went along with that, we're actually finding now that people are having negative health consequences from not getting enough sodium and electrolytes. And um, typically whole foods tend to have less salt added. And if people aren't used to the taste of salt, they might not be salting their food that much either. And so um, I hear from a lot of moms who notice a big energy difference when they start making sure they're getting those electrolytes enough. And interesting fact there, especially in pregnancy and breastfeeding phases, that is really, really key for hormone production and even like breast milk production. So from a, uh, just like a mom tidbit there, that can be a really important one as well. Um, I think a couple others that in general can apply across the board um, would be like a really quality probiotic or making sure that you're getting interaction with probiotic rich environment or foods whenever possible. Um, and then when we're talking about electrolytes, certainly also magnesium. Um, I know I've read yep. about this. I know you guys have talked about this. Um, we're seeing rampant magnesium deficiency in today's world. And it's one that I've noticed almost everyone feels better when they get their levels in a good range. Yeah, that, that's interesting you say that. Um, I mean, all, all of those. And with magnesium too, I've seen cases where people are deficient. I've also seen conditions where, um, and I believe, I can't remember if it was thyroid or adrenal issues, but some people just have trouble almost like absorbing magnesium when they see it, when the body sees it too, um, including some of the like hyper bioavailable or absorbable types like magnesium, you know, glycinate, um, magnesium bicarbonate, which is like where you kind of can have some carbonated water with the magnesium, things like that. Yeah. Uh, with the, actually, I, I kind of do a two in one too, with the, uh, that aforementioned exogenous ketone as well the DBHB in there actually has more electrolytes combined than like things on the market that are just uh, pure electrolyte products on their own, right? Like we've all seen the liquid IV going around. So I think a lot of people just feel a lot better, have a lot more energy, a lot more natural energy, you know, most importantly. Um, and, and then you kind of give, give the cells, the body, uh, the scaffolding they need to carry out other processes. I, I think people don't realize that minerals, electrolytes that we get from all these various sources, they're what help ourselves uh, communicate with one another to carry out all these processes. So it's not necessarily just hydration for training as we, you know, at least, you know, for my generation, that's what we originally sold electrolytes as is, all right, this is just something you do to refuel during summer and that's it. And it's like, oh no, wait a minute. There's a, there's a lot more here, almost like a vitamin D. It's, it's very ubiquitous in terms of supporting all aspects of our health and fitness. And now, on, on that note too, just, you know, speaking of other ways in which our environment could be making us less healthy, less fit without us knowing, you know, chemicals and issues with common household items, including our personal care items is a big one, right? I know you've talked about that before. Absolutely. And I think there's now a lot more awareness about this, thankfully, but some people still don't realize that indoor air is often much more polluted than outdoor air. And that um, when they test the blood of newborn babies, babies are now coming into the world with over 300 identifiable chemicals in their bloodstream already. And those are just the ones that are able to cross through the placental barrier, which is the majority cannot. So we know that we are seeing this influx of thousands and thousands of chemicals that the body has previously not had to interact with. And we're seeing them at increasing levels in our environment. And that in, in many cases, the home environment is actually the biggest source of chemical exposure. And so that can relate to things like uh, cleaning products are a big source in the home, air fresheners, which are an easy thing to just eliminate, things like scented candles or, or air fresheners. Um, but the personal care one is huge because the skin is the body's largest organ. And the majority of what we put on our skin 
gets into the body in some way. And so um, women especially tend to have higher levels of this because of the amount of personal care products that are used. And very often, I find that this is a big key, especially if there's any kind of chronic underlying health issue, removing that low level exposure is a really important step because when your body's having constant low level exposure to chemicals that are on the skin, or for instance, in laundry detergent, or the like SVOCs that are present in the fragrances that are in a lot of those, those things, um, it's a constant low level signal that the body's not safe. So we often think of stress as a mental state, but from the physiological side, if the body is receiving negative inputs, it is in a state of stress, even if we don't feel stressed. Oh yeah. For women, a lot of times this goes back to the things we're putting on our body and on our skin. And so um, that was a big motivator for me for, for the past 15 years, I've been making a lot of my own personal care products because a lot of them weren't available, especially when I was first starting out and there just weren't clean options. Um, and now thankfully there are a lot more options, but I was frustrated because I felt like in certain areas, there still were not good, clean, non-toxic products that rivaled the effectiveness of the conventional products. And I realized that, especially for women, we weren't willing to trade something actually working for it being natural, especially when it came to hair care is a big one. Um, and for oral care, of course, we want that to work and we want to have white teeth, but also healthy teeth. And so those were kind of areas where I started deep diving into formulation and created a company called Wellness that makes clean hair care and oral care and also now hand sanitizers since that's become so popular. Um, but with the idea that rather than putting, so of course it should be a given, we shouldn't be putting these harmful chemicals on our bodies to begin with, but how can we turn that on its head and use that same idea to our advantage, which means if things are able to cross through our skin, why not put beneficial things on the skin? And so we built this around the idea of hair food that's actually nourishing the skin oh, wow. and nourishing the hair. Same thing with the oral care. Um, it's a hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste, which is a naturally occurring mineral that is in our enamel. And so how can we actually nourish the body from the outside in? And hopefully people are also eating a nutrient-rich diet. So their saliva is mineral-rich and fat-soluble vitamin-rich and interacting with the hydroxyapatite to keep strong teeth that are naturally white, but without the need for propylene glycol or um, harsh bleaches or microplastics or many of the things that are in those products. Oh, I love it. You're, yeah, this is great. People are learning how to be healthy from the inside out and the outside in, really. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, it's almost like, you know, you want to get the right paint job on your car and you also want to put the right fuel in there so you don't get a dirty fuel injector. Exactly. Uh, Very much a both and, not an either or. Totally. So now, uh, Katie, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to read some of these articles uh, and, and a lot of the amazing information you put out there, they want to maybe look at these natural care products and some of the books that you've you've written, where can they go for that? Where can they find you online? wellnessmama.com is the hub and everything is linked from there, but the podcast is also the Wellness Mama podcast and I'm Wellness Mama on every social media platform. Okay. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Everybody, I highly recommend checking out Katie online. Uh, definitely search for wellness mama on your chosen, you know, favorite social network. Absolutely. Check out her site. It's great to learn yourself. And then also if you want to pass along some of these concepts to your loved ones, your own family, it's written in a language that is ubiquitous. I mean, everyone can understand it. So Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Maybe we could have you on again in the future at some point. Thank you for having me. I would love that. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of BHB Radio.